officers of the church in, in Article 31 and 32, and the sacraments of the church is in, in 33, 34, and 35, uh, before we turn our attention to the government and to last things. So we start as broad as possible, and we get a little more narrow as we go along. Uh, and uh, in Article 28, we talk about what it means to, to belong to a local congregation and what, what that uh, responsibility uh, is for us as members. And we have something of that here in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, we'll begin reading at verse 1 and read to verse 21. Hear the word of God. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are, all, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Then we'll turn in our forms and prayers books to page 184, 185, or in our Trinity Psalter hymnals to page 865, 866, where we find Article 28 of the Belgic Confession. Again, Article 27 introduces the topic of the church, and it, it gives us the biggest a perspective, vision of the church, a glorious a body of, of believers found the world over. All true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by His blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get a little more uh, particular in Article 28, where we confess this, that we believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved, and there is no salvation apart from it, no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, regardless of his status or condition. But all, peoples are, all people are obliged to join and unite with it, keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build one another up, according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. And to preserve this unity more effectively, it's the duty of all believers, according to God's word, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church in order to join this assembly wherever God has established it, even if civil authorities and royal decrees forbid and death and physical punishments result. And so all who withdraw from the church or do not join it act contrary to God's ordinance. This the church does believe.
Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ our Lord, when we last spoke about Article 27, that article that also sort of begins Article 28, there's a summary statement, if you will, uh, in Article 28, saying that we believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved, and there is no so, uh, a salvation apart from it. Essentially, Article 28 says, because we believe Article 27, because what we said then is true, therefore, in this article, this is also true. So it's an outworking of Article 27 and the confession of it. And in Article 27, you'll recall that we saw that the church of Jesus Christ is that body purchased and established by Jesus, ruled by Jesus as king, uh, and the one that is preserved by God uh, in the spirit of Christ uh, so that it sustains or is sustained even in the darkest of days. Uh, in light of, of, of that confession, uh, we noted last time that some people will say, I, believe, I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. I just don't belong to a church. I, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm, I'm for worshiping God, but I'm not for all of that uh, 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 structure, organization, uh, all of those offices. Churches, they say, are really a, a, a place where authority is abused, where, where finances are really the underlying motive, uh, people getting rich and that sort of thing. So I have no part in that aspect of Christianity, of the religion that we profess. Rather, I, I am a, a worshiper of the living God. I worship on my own. I worship when I go for a walk. I worship when I'm outside or when I'm in creation, whatever the case may be. We noted that there are people, and there are increasing numbers of people that hold to that position today. And, and to some degree, understandably so. There, there is a lot of abuse in the church. There is a lot of trouble in the church. There are churches that do exist uh, that have abused their authority and misused their position and are not interested in blessing but are only interested in benefiting. And that, of course, should be condemned by all men. But just because something is abused does not make its proper use wrong. That is, just because somebody uses a hammer to damage another car uh, on, the, on the side of the road because they're angry with the owner of that car doesn't mean that hammers uh, are now all of a sudden bad. Uh, the truth is, the church, the ministry of the church, of the local church, is intended to be a very good thing, a, a thing that blesses us. Indeed, when you think of the global church and you think of belonging to the global church, when you think that we are members of this one body that Jesus Christ has purchased by His blood on the cross and which He is at work in through the power of His Holy Spirit and through the means of His grace, uh, when you think of this global church and you want to say, I belong to it, I am a member of it. How could you do that apart from a local manifestation of the church? How can anyone say that they belong to the church if they don't belong to a church? Because the gathering together of every local congregation is to be, ought to be, strive to be, a gathering of God's people under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And that's why uh, the, the, the confession is quite right when it, when it reminds us and it encourages us at the very outset of this article in Article 28 uh, that as members of Christ's company of the redeemed, as those whom Jesus died for on the cross, as those in whom the Holy Spirit is at work uh, redeeming and, and refining and renewing us, we are called 
to bind ourselves to the local church, to not this local church, that is, we're not specifying which local church, but that we must, as members of the company of Christ's community, find ourselves in the fellowship of believers under the reign of Jesus Christ, ministered to by His Spirit and by His congregation. And that we are to joyfully embrace this identity and this privilege as God's people. That the church is a spiritual entity without question, but it is also a group of flesh and blood people. It is a place where the sacraments, the bread and the wine are eaten, the waters poured out, very tangible, very real things. It's a building where people come to worship and gather. So that if we belong to the church of Jesus Christ, we must also belong to a church of Jesus Christ. After all, outside of the church of Jesus Christ, outside of that company of people that God is redeeming in His Son, there is no salvation. That's maybe some of, or one of the challenging things that we read in this particular article. That there is no salvation apart from the company of the redeemed. That's a, certainly a, a challenging word to our world. Our world holds that many paths lead to salvation. That all religions are equal uh, in their understanding, in their teaching, and in their way. And here we say, no, only the Christian church, only Christians, only those who belong to the body of believers redeemed by Jesus Christ, they're the only ones who are going to be saved. And that makes sense to us, doesn't it? That, that certainly ought to seem reasonable to us as good Christian folk who know that only through faith in Jesus Christ can we be saved. Only by the death of the Savior on the cross can we be saved. Only by being part of His body, stones in His temple, branches on His vine, only by belonging to His body of believers can we in fact be saved. But that shouldn't seem to us to be a burden. That shouldn't seem to us to be a hard thing. That should seem to us to be a wonderful thing. And indeed, our response to what it is that God has done for us by including us in the company of God's people, our response to this truth of God's Word ought to be one of joyfully embracing our place within the church, despite all of the, the, the forces that might want to work against that response. And there are many forces that would work against that response. You think about how in the history of the church, class has been uh, one of the ways in which churches have been uh, less than faithful in their embrace of fellow believers. Uh, I've been to a, a church in the Netherlands, for example, which, uh, in which the, the, the minister faces that way, faces uh, not to the congregation, but alongside the congregation. Everybody sits over there, except for a small group of very privileged folk. They sat right in front of the preacher. And I asked the, the steward, why was, why was that? Well, that's where the rich people sat. You, you could buy those seats, and then you could be recognized as some of the great privileged people in this community. Well, that's not, that's not a joyfully embracing their identity as fellow members in the church of Jesus Christ. That is instead a, a, a elevating of some to a position that they don't rightly enjoy. 
Think about the early church and, and think about how the early church was a collection of, yes, wealthy believers, to be sure, but also homeless, slaves, some of the uh, uh, people of society that were less than savory, even criminals. And they were all included. And, and remember how the apostle says, there is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. The, the, the church is to be understood as that one body of sinners redeemed in Jesus Christ. And we aren't to separate ourselves according to our preference. I go to church with my, the people of my economic class. No, no, says our confession. We are to embrace our identity as members of the church, irrespective of our class identity, as those who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. There are other things that tend to separate churches, that tend to uh, force us apart rather than together. Uh, churches are, after all, places where messy people tend to be found, people that are sinners, people that are acknowledging their sin, people that are struggling with their sin. Uh, and, and that can be hard to come to terms with because we expect in the church better from one another we expect people to be committed to serving to the serving the lord with joy and thanksgiving and we think that everybody in the church like us is going to be doing their best to to do their best and we discover of course as we become uh, more integrated within a community as our eyes are opened to more and more of the reality of each other's lives that the process of sanctification of the spirits working in us is slow and the people that we are called to associate with can sometimes be difficult. They can have sharp elbows, sharp tongues. They can be thoughtless and careless. And, and we can find ourselves struggling when we sit beside certain people within the church of Jesus Christ. Even as we might say that the call to humility, uh, that this call to membership requires, uh, is one of those things that can push us away from joining a church of Jesus Christ. Most organizations we choose to join, we do so because they provide us with a benefit. Here's, a, here's an organization we're commanded to join, obligated to join, and to serve. We're obligated to come in and use our gifts for the benefit of other people. And that means, of course, that we need the church not that the church needs us. And that's hard for us to accept. That's not something that we're easily uh, willing to admit. That's why in these and in many other ways, there are pressures within our culture, within our, even our own community that say, uh, you know, belonging to, to a church, uh, getting your hands dirty as a member of the church by serving others and by blessing others, that's not something you should be required to do. But that changes, it seems to me, that mentality changes when we recognize what the article is reminding us of in its opening paragraph concerning the privilege that is the, 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 the inheritance of everyone who belongs to, to the local congregation, whichever congregation it is. That is, when we realize that we belong to the church of Jesus Christ because this is the company of the redeemed, not of the good, not of the perfect, but of those whom God is saving by the power of His Son in Jesus Christ, then our concerns as fellow members of the church should come to an end. 
Last time we, 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 we used the example of Noah's Ark, and maybe that's a good example to borrow again. How, how Noah's boys, maybe Shem, Ham, and Japheth, maybe they, they didn't get along or something. Maybe they were at, at, at each other's throats the way brothers can be. And maybe then one of them came to dad and said, Dad, I can't, I can't stand it. I can't stand my brother. He's just so annoying and this sort of thing. I, I don't want anything to do with him. Imagine that this was, this was just as the rain was starting. What do you think Noah would say to his son? Wouldn't he say, listen, your brother may be broken. Your brother may be struggling. Maybe your brother may be a lot of things. But look around for a minute and see that the judgment of God is about to rain upon this community, upon this world. God's wrath is being poured out and He has chosen you along with this broken sinner of a brother you have to be among those who survive. Don't don't see your brother's brokenness. See your privilege at being one of those who are given life on the boat. And the same way we ought to see as God's people, the privilege that we have. Oh yes, there's work to be had, or work to be done, without question. And it's messy, and it's hard, and it's lot. Belonging to a church is no easy thing. It's a bumping, bruising sort of thing. But when we see that it is the gift from a God who's purchased us by the blood of His Son, then we ought to also say, I'm glad. I'm glad that I have opportunity to make concrete this blessedness that has been given to me in my service towards others. It doesn't make the challenges of belonging to a church less, but it places them well within the context of joyful thanksgiving to God for salvation received. We may not like our shipmates, but we're on the ark and we've been saved. And so let's thank God in the way that we interact and in the way that we embrace one another. And we do that by joyfully encouraging each other in our walk with the Lord. The second paragraph of Article 28 reminds us that all people are obliged to join and unite with it, keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build up one another according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. We are to keep the unity of the church, that bond. We are, we are placed together, says, says uh, the author of the confession. We are brought into this, this glorious company of the redeemed, and we locally, we're, we're, we're gathered together within a, a, a local congregation. And, and within that congregation, we are to keep the bond that unites us. We're to keep that bond of peace of which the apostle speaks in Ephesians chapter 4, just before the passage we read. And we are to keep that bond, that connection to the church. We're to keep it, says the author of the confession, in these ways. Notice that it says bye, 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 right? We are to keep the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build one another up. It's interesting, isn't it, that the author connects the blessings of church membership, first of all, with the unity of the church. That he says, we are to maintain this connection, this relationship, this bond, this, this unity that we enjoy with God's people, not just here, but throughout the world. We are to maintain our connection with the church by submitting to Jesus Christ, by bending the knee sitting under His Word and willingly letting Him disciple and train us, letting Him be the one who directs 
and guides us. We can see how serving each other does that, but, but the first thing he says is before you serve each other, you need to submit to your king. You need to sit under his word, you need to sit at his feet, and you need to hear what he has to say to you. Now, if the church is an organization that exists to benefit me, then this confession, this statement of the author is confusing. Because how can my personal growth in a relationship with the king be of benefit to the unity of the church? And if we think in terms of we, in terms of the body of believers, the answer immediately begins to become evident. After all, just think, are you benefited if your kidneys work well, if your ears work well, if your blood works well? Isn't it true that if all parts of your body work well, every part of you benefits? In fact, the healthier we are, the healthier our living is, it doesn't just benefit one aspect of our body, one aspect of our physical existence. It benefits the entire body. And so it is where we as members of the body, where we as maybe one small cell within this entire glorious body of Jesus Christ, if we are healthy, if we are growing and developing, if we're doing what God has ordained us for, then we are benefiting the body. We are blessing one another. When we focus on serving the King, then we benefit all that we come into contact with by ministry opportunities like mentoring or by prioritizing piety within the company of God's people, by teaching our children what it means to love and serve the Lord, by setting an example for friends, and on and on it goes. When we first submit to Jesus Christ and we start by, by bending the knee under His sovereign rule, then we are a blessing to those around us. But notice that that's not where it ends. We begin by listening to God's Word, by coming to church on a Sunday, by going to Bible studies, by doing our devotions, but by then also bending our necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, that is, by concretely following after Him. We begin by acknowledging Jesus Christ is our King, but then we go about our daily life by submitting to His direction and His guidance. Here we need to again recognize that when we live in submission, in concrete ways rather, uh, and when we practically live out our Christian lifestyle, we are a blessing to those around us. We are a blessing to the church of Jesus Christ. How many times isn't it that people look askance at the church, look down upon the church, because they hear about members within the church that have fallen from such heights. Now we understand that the world is not able to discern uh, the power of sin and the grace of God and there is no forgiveness and, and it is for the church's benefit or the world's benefit rather to look down on the church and say look at what a bunch of bad people there are in this church. And so we can offer a, a, a different explanation. We can, uh, we can explain why it is that even in the church there are sinners. That, that the church does not expect its members to be these, these perfect saints never making a mistake. We recognize that it's precisely because we're sinners, as we heard in the form for preparation this morning, it's precisely because we're sinners that we come to church. Because we need this grace. Because we need the Lord to be at work in our lives. Because we need His sovereign mercy to be guiding us. We can explain it that way. But it is still true 
that when someone in the church falls who is expected to have taken the yoke of Jesus Christ upon them, who is expected to have followed in Jesus Christ's footsteps, whether that's at our job, the language we maybe use, the, 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 the way that we treat our customers or our employees, whether it's in our relations with our neighbors, in our community, our neighborhoods, the kind of person we're viewed uh, by those around us, in any of the ways that we interact with our world, if the world says, I can hardly believe that's a Christian, that's a real problem. We're not building up the church then. We're not advancing the plan of God then. We are not keeping the unity of the church then. It is not only that we acknowledge Jesus Christ as King when we sit in worship and study His Word together, but that that acknowledgement finds concrete and tangible expression in the coming week. That even as we go from this place and even as we go to parts of this community that, that aren't the church, that aren't our, our, our fellowship of believers, it's not a catechism class, it's a hockey game with people from the world it's not, it's not a Bible study. It's a job in an office with people that don't know Jesus Christ. When we go out into the community, which is a place we should be holding forth the light of the Gospel, we need to remember that we bless the church. We keep the bond of the church when we concretely live out our Christian walk in a way that testifies to our being those who love and serve the Lord. Though it is indeed the church that ought to have a special care within our lives, as the or the confession goes on to say, by serving to build one another up according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. When you think about how the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Corinthians talks in chapter 12, particularly about how we are to serve one another then we ought to recognize that we have been brought into this fellowship of believers to be blessed without question, to be benefited by God's grace undoubtedly, but that that benefit should translate into foot washing as Jesus Christ himself showed us when he served his disciples in that very humble, very lowly way. The apostle reminds us that we've been given gifts and having been given gifts are to bless each other and we ought to then ask ourselves how am i being a blessing to fellow christians there are a number of ways in which of course we can answer that it depends on the gift we've been given for some of us that might be as simple as saying well i've been given much financially and the lord has given it to me as a deposit so that i can spread it out in the use of his kingdom it's a responsibility to decide where does that financial support go but it can also be in terms of our time, in terms of our insight, in terms of our wisdom, in terms of our patience, in terms of our ability to speak a kind word to those who are hurting, to those who are struggling. It can be in terms of organization and uh, providing ways and moments for others to serve. There are so many different ways in which serving the church can be accomplished. It's not merely a matter of saying, okay, I'll lead a Bible study or I'll go and, and, and teach a catechism class or a kingdom seekers program. Those are all lovely things to do as well, of course. But it's about saying, I'm here to be a blessing to those that the Lord has given to me. We need to see ourselves joyfully as being gifted by the Lord for the purpose of, his, of encouraging each other, encouraging each other by acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, by submitting to Him daily, and by blessing those around us. When we focus on Jesus Christ, we focus on His 
on the blessing of his body. And again, there's a great deal of pressure within our world and within our day to reimagine the church as, as different than this perspective that is provided in our confessional statement. There's a great deal of pressure, I think, to uh, redefine the church as not a place where the wounded and weary sinners come to grow in strength, to find refreshment, and to give their lives in service to the King, and to instead redefine the church as a more service-oriented organization, a place like Amazon or like UPS, a place where you call them to do something for you, to get something done for you. You go online and you put in your request and somebody comes and gets it done and goes again on their way. That's not how the church should be understood. That's not the church that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has established. Jesus Christ who Himself came not to be served, but to serve. The body that He fashions is a body not interested in benefiting self, but in serving Him and serving each other. And that is our privilege and our obligation. That is our joy and our call. And we have to joyfully encourage one another in this way, even as we should do so in the midst of a, a world that, that does not understand, a world that does not have a great deal of love for the church. We've certainly experienced something of that in these past number of years and begin to understand that that is a trend that is going to continue. That our commitment to being members of the church is going to be tested and that our willingness to stand with the church is going to be challenged. That's why the confession in a timely way says to us, And to preserve this unity more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to God's Word, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church in order to join this assembly wherever God has established it, even if civil authorities and royal decrees forbid, and death and physical punishment result. And so all who withdraw from the church or do not join it act contrary to God's ordinance. Here you might put this statement within its original historical context to appreciate what it is exactly that Guido is here saying. Remember that there was in his day, quite literally, only one church organization. There was only the Roman Catholic Church. And as the Reformation began to take hold and as members of the church of Jesus Christ began to recognize that their organizations, their local congregations were no longer living in a way that was consistent with the Word of God, no longer submitting to the kingship of Jesus Christ, that therefore they needed to leave. They needed to form new congregations where indeed the Word of God held sway and where the blessing of Christ's grace was evident. And so these congregations now started to pull away from that organization that was the Roman Catholic Church. And as a result, the Roman Catholic Church and the governments of the day became very concerned. Indeed, Guido de Bray writes this document because Charles V, the Holy Roman Empire, is about to come to the lowlands to kill a bunch of people because he says these people, these Protestants, these Reformers... They are a threat to the unity, the safety, the political stability of my kingdom. 
And Guido writes this document to say, no, we're not. We're not at all that. We are, in fact, the very opposite of that. We are the best citizens you'll ever have. Indeed, one of his friends writes the Dutch national anthem, which to this very day contains a line in it, saying, the king of Spain, that was Charles V, the king of Spain I have always honored, says the Dutch national anthem, to this day. A continuing reminder that the church is not the the threat to society that it's made out to be. And it is made out to be a threat, isn't it? We've also seen that in these past number of days. It's happened in the past. Historically, it's happened in our recent past. And it will happen again. When we were in Scotland, often people would say as we drove along and saw various parts of the landscape, well, the church used to gather here in this field, by this bridge, by this particular place. And you say, wait a minute, what do you mean the church used to gather there? Well, the Church of Scotland, which was a Protestant group started by John Knox, was, was part of the, the society. It was government-run. And when churches left, when the free churches left 150 some odd years ago, then the government said, you may, not, you may not hold land, you may not build churches, you may not have ministers, you may not worship the Lord. And so what did the people do? They went into the fields. They worshipped outside. They said, well, we are going to worship the Lord anyway. You can forbid it, we are still going to do it. Because we belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And what's going to happen then within our culture and within our day as we see the dark clouds of our liberal policies, government, progressive mentality, when the world which does not just think the church is wrong, but believes the church is bad, the church of Jesus Christ, the faithful church where the Word of God is faithfully preached, where, where issues like same-sex attraction or transgenderism or all of the other uh, touchstones of our culture are seen in the light of God's Word and viewed properly according to what God says. What's going to happen when our government says enough's enough? The church is a threat to us. We've already started to see how various governments are redefining laws relating to the church. We currently enjoy a a measure of security as a charitable organization under the law. What happens if the government says, "No, no more of that, no more charitable protection for you, what then? Will then our giving be affected because we don't receive the right charitable donation receipt? What about our preaching? Will our preaching be as willing to say that is wrong? Right now, I can say that homosexuality is condemned by God and that those who are living that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God as the word of God says. But I can say that because we're protected by the, the, the charitable status of the church. What happens if that's lifted? Are we still willing to be able to say that, even if that means jail time, even if that means fines, even if that means persecution? What happens when our employer says, you you must work on Sunday, you may not miss another shift? What happens when our society realizes that we are the threat that they understand? Because here, life is renewed. Here, lives are given to Jesus Christ And they no longer submit to the woke spirituality of our day, but to the claim of Jesus Christ. What then? 
In the days of the early church, it happened. In the days of the Reformation, it happened. It's happening in various parts of our world this day. Think in China of its social credit system where points are earned based on what the government says you're doing. They track everything everybody does, the stuff you look on online, the places you go when you drive. They see it all and you earn points. And those points determine what school you can go to, what job you can have, what you can purchase, where you can purchase these things. What if then going to church drops your social credit score and makes your life more difficult? How vital then would our connection to the church be? Would we tell ourselves that God knows and we're okay if we don't stand with the church? Or would we with wisdom and discretion prioritize our fellowship with the faithful over political, social, and economic questions? It's not an easy question to answer. It's easy in the theoretical. It is hard in the practical, in the moment. Many in the ancient church offered their pinch to Caesar. That was the way the church, that was one of the ways Caligula and Nero persecuted the church. You had to offer a sacrifice to the Roman uh, emperor, a pinch of, of, of uh, 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 incense. And were you willing to take that little pinch and put it in the, in the burning cauldron? If you did, you were left alone. If you didn't, you lost your job, you lost your home, you were sent into exile, you were sold into slavery, your girls were raped, your husbands were killed. Many people offered their pinch to Caesar in that moment. And we should be honest, where the church is comfortable, it's hard to give up that comfort. Spiritual challenges are at a time like asking middle-aged office workers to run a marathon. The problem isn't the challenge, We tell ourselves it is, but the truth is we've gotten a little too comfortable around the edges. What do we do? Well, all we can do is prepare. By recognizing the coming pressures, that our culture has little love for the kind of faith that we profess, that it might not be in our day, but it may be in our children's day. And how do we ensure that they have a passion for the things of God and of His Word, a passion for the company of the redeemed? Surely it's by showing them how important it is to us, even and especially when it's difficult. See, our enemies don't pressure the lost to diminish their commitment to the church. They don't need to. But they do work on the hearts and minds of those committed to living in service to the Lord. That means the pressure is a reminder that we're in the right. That the Lord is blessing us. And that we are walking in His way. We should rejoice when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we should stand firm. Rejoicing to be included in the company that the, Lord has, uh, that the Lord is preserving for all eternity. That should be the theme of our relationship with the church. It should be a joyful thing. A joyful thing to know that we belong. That we belong to this messed up, broken, struggling company of sinners who make mistakes and who need all sorts of help and grace and mercy. And that we're there to encourage each other with words and service and ministry and whatever else is needed. 
And that we'll stand together no matter what the world says against us. That we will belong to this company that we know is headed for eternity because it has been purchased by Jesus Christ. Membership within the church, you see, is more than just a practical question. It's more than just an empty question. It's a question of our commitment to Jesus. Again, not, not saying that this local church is the only church, that's, that's, but practically testifying that we are committed to living out our confession in very local terms, in very practical ways, in very trying times. That is the testimony that we are to give. Grateful that we have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. Let's sing of that, shall we? In Psalm 133.